0: Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is my quest to teach the whole New Testament as deeply and helpfully as I can. So grab your Bible and a beverage of choice, and let's take a few intentional minutes together in the deep end. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. This will be the last episode before we start exploring the Passion Week of Jesus. The course is set for Jerusalem, and Jesus has one last lesson to teach before making his triumphant entry. Our passage for this episode is Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servants. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for those who have nothing... Even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. The messianic expectation of Israel is running at fever pitch right now. Even the unlikeliest of guys like Bartimaeus have felt it. When he called out to the son of David, this sort of expectation was burning in his heart. In a couple of days' time, we're going to see this messianic expectation reach a stunning crescendo. With this expectation, all the things that had been spoken to the people would be coming to mind. The rabbis had made all sorts of lofty statements about how they would know him, including the idea of fresh manna falling from the sky like the days of Moses. The people in the street who hated Rome were feeding the idea that this Messiah would be the answer to all their years of oppressive rule. When we get our own king again, not a puppet like Herod, not a pagan tyrant like Caesar, but a real God-given Jewish king like David. When we get one of those, everything changes. Never mind the things that Isaiah wrote about, that suffering servant stuff. Never mind what Daniel saw in the Spirit, the anointed one being put to death with little to show for himself. The Messiah is all about changing our here and now. Because Jesus has begun the trip west from Jericho and the festival season is fast approaching, the people are getting worked up all of a sudden. We read here that Jesus is very much aware of this fact, and he gets the worked-up crowd together for a really sobering parable. Their expectations need to be adjusted, and he knew just what to say to illustrate this. There was a man about to be made king. This was totally engineered to get the crowd's attention. This noble man did in fact become king, even though there was a group of people who did not want this to occur. There was an actual story in recent history which went along those lines. After Herod the Great died, his son had to make the long journey to Rome to be made king in his place. And there was also a delegation of Jews who went to Rome to put a stop to it. But while that story was fresh in everyone's mind, Jesus was also very much aware of his own earthly destination. In about a week's time, a delegation of people in rejection of him would say the words, We have no king but Caesar. The parable continues. Nevertheless, there was absolutely no doubting the fact that this king was in fact coronated in the land that he was visiting. The kingdom of God, in tightly held tension between what we see now and what we will see in full then, was established on earth through the ministry of Christ. It was he who proclaimed from the very beginning, the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. Not here in full, but so close and tangible that it will touch you and affect you in part even now. Your response to this is to repent. Then live in anticipation of this kingdom's fullness. Jesus goes on, while he was being made king of that land, he also got some servants together and gave them all something to steward and invest. A miner is an ancient unit of measure for weights. It turns out that one miner is roughly 571 grams. If this is gold on the stock exchange right now, you would get a fair price for that. The expectation here is a clear call to invest in such a way as to report a return. Jesus says, then the newly appointed king returns home. The Messiah that they were expecting was not going to go as humanly planned, and Jesus is making this abundantly clear here. This king was a ruler in a distant country, and they'd be working with this new king at a distance for an undisclosed amount of time. All they knew is that something of significant worth was left with them and they were expected to do something with it. It would be expected that the holder of what the king gave would be expected to take risks. All investment comes with risk. And the steward was given an amount to risk given the track record they had and their discernment on what things would be worth investing in. To do nothing. To risk nothing. To invest nothing was not going to be met with approval when the king sent for a report at the end of this unspecified period of investing time. The parable continues. Then the king returned and sent for the servants. And in this environment, he gives them a chance to show what they'd gained from investment in his absence. One by one, they come and report. The first servant is able to quickly demonstrate that he is a savvy investor who was willing to take educated risks He's clearly had a solid work ethic and behaved honorably with the responsibility he was given. His work has attracted the admiration of his king. We see a similar story being told with a guy who has gained five minors as well. Both are given greater charge and honor after facing the king. In other words, their actions and their motives have faced the judgment of their sovereign ruler and they have been found faithful and rewarded accordingly. Even though they were surrounded with people who opposed his rule, they remain faithful to what was given to them to work with. Now, is Jesus alluding to us all inheriting cities? I don't think so, since there is one totally amazing city in Revelation that we all seem to inherit together. But he most certainly is pointing out that loyal servants and stewards are rewarded by the king himself for their faithfulness to him and what he entrusts to them. The contrast, of course, is the guy who comes in last with the same pound of gold in his hand as was given to him in the first place. He has gotten the wrong end of the stick about who this king is. He's been corrupted by the naysayers around him and drawn incorrect conclusions about the king. He was given the chance to invest on the king's behalf and I don't think we are to read into this that the king was unwise in doing so. The servant no doubt had the goods to produce just like the others. But his distorted view of his king has caused him to do nothing with what he's been entrusted with. He is riddled with fear and is already seeing the judgment for failure rather than the praise you would get for actually trying something. His orders were clear. Invest. Make this thing produce. Return to the king more than what was entrusted to you. Take the educated risk. Take a chance or two. Put yourself out there. Have a bit of fun spending something that's not yours. Do what the king knows that you can do. If he is backing you and giving you something that's precious to him, then invest it because you're good enough to yield something out of it. But instead, fear and uncertainty grips him, and the thing he is supposed to invest, he hides. In and of itself, it doesn't seem totally hopeless. He's not gone and lost it, right? Couldn't he have simply handed it in with a bit of an apology and leave it at that? Well, clearly that's not how this kingdom works. When given stewardship of something that belongs to this kingdom, the only course of action is investment and return. It's almost like the people this king is entrusting have a certain edge about them. It's almost like there is a real assumption on the part of the king that those he entrusted will produce something. When we then see this kingdom as the kingdom of God, the edge we have suddenly becomes clear. The ability to invest in a wise way, the power we have to work both smart and hard to see something entrusted to us become a productive thing is actually a skill set that goes beyond our natural ability. So to make use of what the heavenly king gives to us to steward means to have it produce in a supernatural way. The servant had concluded that this king reaped what he didn't sow, and this is simply not the case. He had actually sown into the hands of the servants and was correct to expect them to offer him something to reap. The servant had concluded that this king was harsh and someone to be feared. The king had done nothing to indicate this and has behaved the completely opposite way. But at the end of the day, we see in reality that the servant simply was not motivated to invest in the interest of the kingdom. The fact that he hid it away instead of putting it in a bank where some interest could be gained shows that this man really couldn't be bothered with what was put in his hand by his king. While the others were faithful to their charge, this man invested nothing. He cared little and he lost everything. The legendary scholar Matthew Henry makes some sobering notes about this man. He says, This represents the carelessness of those who have gifts, but never lay out themselves to do good with them. It is all one to them, whether the interests of Christ's kingdom sink or swim, go backward or forward. For their parts, they will take no care about it, no pains, be it no expenses, run no hazard. Those are the servants that lay up their pound in a napkin, who think it enough to say that they have done no hurt in the world, but neither did they do any good. At the end of the day, this man appears to have missed his reward in the presence of the king. In Luke's account, we see the unfaithful servants stripped of that which the king gave. While the others had invested in the time they were given, this man did not, and the king had no reason to reward him. Did he miss eternity altogether? It's hard to say exactly here, although there is a case to suggest his indifference to his task made him no better than the naysayers who had faced the king's ultimate judgment. If you look at the version of the story in Matthew, you'll see he was thrown into outer darkness. However, if we don't serve the interests of the kingdom now, why would we expect the king to serve our interests then? So let's reflect on this a little bit further. Here's how the disciples were to hear this and how we should too. First, this kingdom is not going to make all your troubles disappear just yet. The Messianic promise was not localized. It was not just about them, not just about their immediate needs. They wanted an end to Rome, and Jesus wanted an end to sin. They thought local and temporal. Jesus thought global and spiritual. They wanted kingdom now. Jesus was saying, kingdom in part now, but in completion, then. In many ways, Christians try to live their lives entirely in a mindset of Kingdom Now. This mindset views their present experience with an erroneous sense of arrival already. Living this entirely Kingdom Now mindset leads to a belief that all our issues are taken care of and that there is nothing to be done now that we're saved and eternity is stitched up in our lives. This entirely kingdom-now mindset can cause us to live life as little more than hell insurance, and it can lead to lives which show no further kingdom interest. This parable was deliberately articulated to smash that idea. The king comes, is coronated, then leaves for a season. The next point? The kingdom is here with a promise of its fullness still to come. But not everybody wants this king to be on the throne. At Jesus' trial within the week, the Jews would sell his kingdom offer down the river in favor of Caesar. This pagan ruler, in different forms, would then be a thorn in the side for this emerging messianic community, at least for another 300 years. And they would be forced to choose sides in a life-or-death sort of way. Yet, their task in all this was to be faithful servants of their king, even when the greater portion of the people would not recognize him that way. We have that challenge ahead for us, too. All sorts of issues are out there right now, working in active opposition to the will of the king. Some are putting words and motives in the mouth of this king that are not the case. A frightening number of people are reframing the scriptures in terrible ways, rewording the king's speech, second-guessing his motives, renouncing his sovereignty, calling to question his work on the cross. Despite all that, the servants of the kingdom are called to be faithful. He must remain enthroned in our mindset, even if those around us don't want this to be the case. Which moves us to the next point. While the king is gone, he left us things to steward in his physical absence, and we'll be giving an account for our stewardship at the end of time. How did the first disciples take that? Well, Acts 2 tells the story. They held everything in common and actually parted with what they had to ensure the poorest could be on the same footing as them. The people they worshipped with in the temple were the people they willingly held communion with in their homes. The interests of the kingdom superseded the interests of the individual. First Corinthians chapter twelve verse seven tells us that every believer is given gifts to steward, and they exist for the common good. In other words, you have spiritual gifts that are to be invested in kingdom living and kingdom expression. We also know that when Jesus is truly sovereign in our lives, everything we have actually belongs to him, not us. Gifts, time, cash, possessions, all that we hold dear, it is all his. And in his grace, he gives them to us to steward. And we will be asked at the end of time what we did with the things he allowed us to have control over. Did we willingly embrace His sovereignty and get down a kingdom business in this life, or did we hide what was given so that it technically did no harm, but also did no kingdom good? In the economy of the kingdom of God, it is clearly a case of use it or lose it. So, let me ask this. Is your understanding of the King healthy or distorted? Is your view of Jesus something less than love, forgiveness, grace, and truth? Is the cross the place where the price for your redemption was paid? Or was it an unfortunate event that matters little to you? Is the kingdom of God the central part of your being, where all you are doing in this life is pointed in the direction of His kingdom? Or are you doing the bare minimum or even nothing at all with the life and gifts the Lord has given to you? Jesus sowed everything to redeem us. He owns our lives. Then he gives us the freedom to steward them. That is true freedom right there. We understand that he has sown and he expects to reap. Will you ignore the interests of the kingdom of God in this life and come in fear on that last day with your life in a napkin, only to lose it anyway? Or will you be able to present to the king this great report? Your gifts to me were invested. And here is what I have to show for it. thanks for tuning in. To learn more about this podcast and other ministries I'm involved in, go to my new website, www.ministryinthedeepend.com.au. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and even YouTube. So please like, follow, subscribe, connect, and comment wherever you can. I'll look forward to catching up next time. See you then.